Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for January 12th, 2024. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter X at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, you click the notes, the, the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box to sponsor this podcast. You can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears, joining alongside, as always, my co-host, Kay Slow. And we were talking right before we got on air here. We are in the middle of the winter apocalypse, at least at, at least through the swath of, what would you call like our Central America, basically? Not Central America. Central America is different. It's like, it's not Great Plains, it's not Midwest, but it is a snowpocalypse basically happening from Chicago on down through Texas. Well, I am in the Midwest. I am in Chicago, Illinois, USA, baby. Uh, but I, you are, you are feeling the heat of it. So it's it's the it's the middle of America that is feeling the breadbasket. Yeah. That's it. Well, you know, we're blue collar people. We roll up our sleeves just like everybody else. And right now we're getting pelted with winter weather in a way where I am suddenly envious of the coastal elitists, uh, at least on the West Coast, who do not have to deal with this. Yeah. And it's something where Case has this now in Chicago right now. I'm basically getting it starting tomorrow. And it's two completely different kinds of weather where Case was was romancing me almost about setting train tracks on fire, something that goes straight to my heart. Case case probably would look at everyone scrambling to get all their tree branches cut and uh on the street here in fort worth and think that we are just children yeah no i know you guys aren't you guys don't have the infrastructure for any bit of winter weather none let alone something big yeah yeah but no i mean here in chicago it's i don't want to say it's business as usual because today specifically the the weather was pretty bad but there's been worse and it's gonna get worse you know right now i was explaining to mike 
there was a lot of snow on the ground right now, but it's about 36 degrees. So the snow is slowly starting to melt away. The problem is that 36 hours from now, the temperature is going to go from 36 to zero. And so whatever's left is just going to freeze over. And that is, that is going to be a problem. So I'm not looking forward to that. Luckily it is NFL wildcard weekend. The Los Angeles Rams, of course, have a big Sunday night ahead of them. I expect to be gloating and hooting and hollering during that entire game with all due respect to the Detroit Lions, especially Steve Case and the rest of their fan base. Uh, Congratulations, guys, on making the playoffs. But uh, I think Matthew Stafford is going to come home and take care of some business. So that is the weather. That is the NFL. And let's uh, let's get into it early, Mike. Let's talk some Dragon Gate. Yep, so this last week was the kickoff for Dragon Gate's 2024 season. As per usual, the uh, the company that's not based in Kobe doesn't or not based in Tokyo does not really do things the first week of January. Instead, what they do is they use they start their year the way they usually do, with a show in Kyoto and then a show in Osaka Edeon Arena number two before this week and the big double header at Corquin Hall from the 10th and the 11th. The 10th, of course, being the Masaki Mochizuki 30th anniversary show, and then the normal open the New Year's gate show the next day. And I think we should just kind of rip the band-aid off case, talk about the biggest thing happening in Dragon Gate over this week. And that is the return of Shingo Takagi for Masaki Mochizuki's 30th anniversary match. Special singles match there. And boy. It just felt like we got the era of good feelings coming back in a way. Uh, Shingo wins with a thunder fire bomb in 21 minutes. In case you're the one who you had the incredible piece up this week from uh, on Voices of Wrestling talking about the Iron Man Pro Wrestling Misaki Mochizuki. And at least for me, all, all I can say is, hey, for one more night, he turned back the clock and proved that he is one of the most incredible pro wrestlers to have ever lived. Yeah, let's let's talk about Mochi real quick as an individual before we talk about the Takagi match, which uh, was great. And I have a written review that as of the time of this recording is in the drafts over at VoicesWrestling.com. Just waiting for that to go live and then you can read some some more extensive thoughts on Mochizuki. But uh, Mike referenced it. The article is, is live on VoicesWrestling.com. Iron Man, 30 years of Asaki Mochizuki. It's got quotes from Mike Spears. It's got quotes from Alan Farrell. Chris Zellner, Dragon Gate J, Ho Ho Loon, and I think that is everybody. I apologize if I'm forgetting one other person. But I thought you had Jason on that list too. I did not talk to Jason for this one. I thought you had. I thought I saw. I thought you talked to Jason. Anyway, no, I talked. I talked to Jason uh, for the uh, Masato Yoshino piece I did That's two years right. ago, pretty extensively, and then. Uh, uh I'll, I'll i'll leave the the anecdote i was gonna <laughs> gonna say out of this um thank you to jason for helping me with the project last year um but uh look it, it, writing about masaki mochizuki's career i knew this was something that i i wanted to do for quite a bit of time i will say it's it's one of the more challenging things i've ever written perhaps the most challenging because you know, with Masato Yoshino retiring or even like the anniversary of Genki Horiguchi last year when I wrote extensively about that, there there's a certain there was a certain level of sexiness to it and a certain level of narrative that is just built into what you're talking about. And the crazy thing about Mochizuki celebrating 30 years in wrestling is that there's not a ton of difference uh, between Mochizuki 10 years deep and 20 years deep and now 30 years deep in trying to to figure out how to say something else other than God, this guy was great in 2001 and 2005 and 2011 and all these times. It was a, 
it was a very challenging piece. And then you also have to summarize 30 years of pro wrestling in there. So for me, you know, it was exciting uh, to revisit some of the, the WAR stuff uh, that I, I hadn't watched in years and years and years. And even the first time I had seen some of that stuff, I, I had liked Mochizuki, but don't, I didn't have the relationship with him that I do now. And then you've got stuff like uh, early Torimon. You know, I watched a lot of early Torimon. We were kind of talking about that two weeks ago. And I don't remember if I brought this match up on the podcast when we talked about Torimon, but if I could give you, Mike, and the listeners a recommendation of a match to either go back and watch if you've seen it before or one that uh, people have maybe never seen before, it is Shima versus Mochizuki from December of 2001, their hair versus hair match. Do you have any memories of that? Oh, it's I, I still think it is Shima's probably best match of his career. Interesting. It's- it, it, it is something that I've gone back and forth about Shima's best singles match. It, it is a Mochizuki match one way or the other. It's it, it's which December match you want to choose, I feel like. But I feel like the hair versus hair match, especially in 2001 and especially now with the 23 years of, of hindsight, we kind of take a step back and really like after the hair versus hair match, you get babyface from Saki Mochizuki. And that's basically the completed form that we've seen some uh, like some like uh evolutions of since 2001 but i i feel like that a the complete wrestler comes together in the after effects he turns babyface leaves m2k tries to he he proclaims his uh evil ways are behind him but i feel like that that match even though that's already two years into the history of the dragon system really changes the era before t2p does before a torimon exodus just because it's it's the pinnacles, it's the uh, cornerstones of Torimon Japan kind of having an about face there. I think that's a very strong and wise way to say that, you know, because there, there's interesting stuff there and that it's certainly the end of one chapter and the beginning of another because, it, you know, for anybody that hasn't seen it that wants to watch it, all you really have to know is M2K forms in 2000 and they make Crazy Max baby faces because M2K is so hated. And Crazy Max was, you know, it was a weird love hate thing where they were the top stars, but they were also the heels. And M2K really allowed uh, uh, Crazy Max to just lean into the popularity that they had. And it really benefited Dragon Gate. That was something that I talked to Jay about a little bit and that I thought he made really insightful points on. Is like, look, think about Michinoku Pro, right? We only reference. Kind High DX versus the Michinoku Seki Gun. That is the only thing that they were able to get real mileage out of. And through the first year of Toriumon, it's Crazy Max versus the Toriumon guys. It's the you know the Toriumon army. And right. With, yeah, absolutely. With, without M2K coming into play and hitting a home run the way that they did, we don't know what happens. Maybe you know, maybe it's just a promotion that has a hot period or two. And then they trickle away just like Michinoku Pro did. And it's not like Osaka Pro had tremendous long-term success at the box office. M2K is really, I think, what makes Torimon a sustainable product. And so if you've never watched Shima versus Mochi, the hair match, which it's on the Dragon Gate Network, it, the whole show is its own upload in the Torimon section because it's Shima versus Mochi in the main event. The opening match is Super Shisa's TV debut which I cannot recommend enough. It is awesome, and the rest of that show is pretty fun. But Mochizuki, 2001 is the first year that he is 
a world-class, like, top-of-the-line wrestler. You know, probably from about 97 onwards, uh, I would say he's great. But 2001 is the first real tried-and-true Mochizuki year. And Shima Shima, especially in 2001. So you have just the two biggest stars in the company going at it in a hair match. That's really the only thing you need to know. Uh, you don't need to, to be bogged down by storylines or builds and all these tag matches. Just go in with that awareness of it. The thing that struck me watching this match back, and it's one that I had seen, you know, at least twice, maybe even three times before, because it's a very important match, is it's it is a complete and utter sideshow spectacle car crash, whatever you want to do. Look, it's not exactly a King's Road main event. There's a million things going on. Ultimo gets involved. M2K gets involved. Crazy Max gets involved. It is pure chaos, but you see Mochizuki in that environment, and he is so, so good in that match. And then obviously, like you referenced, the fallout is he turns face. You get Mochizuki contra Mochizuki two months after that, and then you know we're off to the races from there. The rest of his career is its own different animal. But my big takeaway from writing about Mochizuki's career and writing about it in depth and really looking at the original M2K, and then his first Dreamgate run, and then his tag team with Don Fuji, and then his second Dreamgate run, and then that mid-2010 point of his career where he had time after time the best match in Dragon Gate of the year. There's a five-year run there where he's the guy. Is I don't think Mochizuki has gotten the credit for being as versatile as he is. You know, we all think of Masaki Mochizuki, hard slaps, hard kicks, Brain Buster, Iron Man. I don't think we give him credit for being able to do comedy, for being able to have the Young Boy Beatdown match, for being able to have the the Ultimo Dragon run-in, car crash, Attitude Era done right, debacle style of matches. He, We obviously know he's capable of just having classic, great four-and-a-half star, four-and-three-quarter star, five-star matches. Mojizuki can do it all, and I think just because of the presentation of Dragon Gate and the lack of distinctive gimmick matches, it doesn't necessarily sink in with people that, hey, this guy can do it all. And that was one of my really big takeaways from that. Yeah, and it's something where I think like his uh, just adaptability is just another thing that when you asked me sort of some quotes about it, you kind of gave me the thing that I found most fascinating to talk about with Masaki Mochizuki, and that's his creativity and the way he looks at wrestling. And the fact that like we could talk about Mochi Fuji, we could talk about the Zetsurin trio, we can talk about his teaming with his son over the last year. We could talk about all these different things that are just different, not just dimensions to him, but it's just another layer to him. And when he's having, when you talk about like the five straight years where M- Masaki Mochizuki had the best singles match in the promotion and it ends up being the Dragon Gate match of the year, what have you, more often than not, they are very completely different style matches than each other. Like we talk about the uh, Susumu title defense he made where it was a full on King's Road style conflict. And then you contrast that with KZ's stomach match and it, you just start to have a richer appreciation for like what the overall greater world of pro wrestling is and how someone can be a, I think, a proverbial genius and be able to look at wrestling in such a different way and actually 
look at wrestling and when i say like a wrestling genius i i know that there are there's like a tendency of thinking outside the box as being a genius and there's aspects of that but i think when you look at someone and the way that they look at wrestling it's very much like brian danielson-esque in the way that masaki mochizuki has a different kind of mindset towards wrestling and is maybe functioning about wrestling at a completely different higher plane than any of us and has done so for the greater part of the last 30 years. Yeah, that five-year stretch is 2014, him versus Masato Yoshino, which was Mochizuki's 20th anniversary match. 2015 is obviously Mochizuki versus Shingo. 2016 is that unit disbands match with Dia Hearts and Monster Express and Berserk. 2017 is him versus Susumi Yokosuka in a Dreamgate match at Gate of Destiny. And the 2018 is him versus KZ in, in Korokin. And all of those matches represent a different thing. You know, the performance, uh, the performances might be equally great, but the Yoshino match has a different uh, meaning than the Takagi match that is way different than the multi-man match, which is presented way different than the Susumu match. And you're the one who wrote the review in real time for the KZ match, and you're the one that has rightfully so sung its praises. I'm not even sure that's my favorite Mochizuki match of 2018 because the Ben K match from Champion Gate is the one that I really latch on to. The deep water match, as I like to think of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, God bless him. Ben K gets assaulted in that match. I mean, it is is violent, and it's what Ben needed at the time, and Ben was able to get through that, and then obviously a year later. And and the way that they used Mochizuki building up to that was genius. Mochizuki gets run over by Ben K in three minutes. He lays out the challenge, and he comes in and goes, what is it, 17 minutes against Ben K in the title defense at Champion Gate, and it's he takes him in the, the deep water and sees if he's able to hold his breath, basically. Completely. It, it is it is a very special run of matches there. Not a lot of guys, you know, can say that they had five years in a row of top 10 matches in the world, which I would say Mochizuki did during that time period. Uh, and, you know, 2017, it's funny, like the Susumu match is the one that won out in the Voices of Wrestling match of the year poll. My 2017 Dragon Gate match of the year is actually Mochizuki versus Big R Shimizu in Korkin, which was a, uh, a number one contenders match, I think. Maybe maybe I'm wrong off that. Yeah, I think but that I, was I think, the key match, yeah. I think that's the match that led to Mochizuki beating Yamato uh, for, the, for the Dream Gate belt. So, you know, however you want to slice it, the consensus poll was a little bit different than what I think of it overall, but... he's just incredible. And, you know, we're coming off three years, basically at this time, uh, three years removed from when you and Alan Forel and I did another greatest wrestler ever ballot. And I'm not in the mindset to pick that apart again. I'm not quite there yet. I need probably another year before I can really think about that sort of stuff. But writing about Mochi at this level, it really, it really makes me wonder if he should be not top five, not top three, but maybe number one. And I just, I know, it's I tough. know, it's- I know that sounds absurd to some people. I get it. But this guy has been wrestling for 30 years. Again, I, I feel comfortable saying he's been great since 1997. He's been a world-class wrestler since 2001. His 2011 is one of my favorite in-ring years of all time. And, Quite honestly, 2014, 2015, 2016, not far behind it. I just don't think uh, the obviously the general public, but even even in tune wrestling fans, I just don't think they get the scope of this guy's greatness 
and we're 30 years deep and he can still go. And now you're really talking about, you know, Negro Casas and, and maybe, uh, you know, Harry. El Hino Del Santo, but I don't, I don't think he has that level of longevity. You know, Casas is sort of the guy that I use as like, okay, he was great and he wrestled a long time because people will want to point to, towards like a Negro Navarro or, yeah. you know, something like that. And I'm just, I, I can't get on board with that. But Casas is, is the real comp to me. And I, I love Casas, but I, Mochizuki has had a much better career than him. And again, I love Negro Casas. That's not a shot at him at all. Yeah, and the person that, like, when we talk about Masaki Mochizuki and greatest wrestler ever, at least for me, I had Masaki Mochizuki at three. <laughs> and when you go above that, it's Shingo Takagi, which he had a match with uh, uh, this week. And the person who, the more I think about, the more I'm wrapping my head around just because we are talking about flexibility and variety, and this person, at least to me, embodied that in pro wrestling, it's Terry Funk. And we, we think about the eras of Terry Funk along with the longevity. And that's kind of the comp you're kind of getting to at a certain point. I mean, we, we, I, Jay was talking about on commentary, Masaki Mochizuki having over 4,030 matches and not taking off time other than his one injury time for like this. And there's only really two or three wrestlers that we can say have done it to that level for that long. And it's Negro Casas and Terry Funk. Yeah, I I just I I find the work that he does to be so compelling and it really it, it really made me fall back in love with him especially watching 010203 Mochizuki and then you know we were talking extensively over the last few weeks about some of the work that he did in 2011 with Hulk and Tozawa and even Cyber Kong and Kanda and you know I I hadn't watched that stuff in in many many years and it was every bit as good, if not better than I remember for the most part. So I, I can't sing his praises enough. And the next time that I feel like sitting down and plotting out, you know, Hanson and Tenru and Kobashi and Takagi and Mochizuki and, you know, I, Brian Danielson probably has to be back in that conversation. Even if I think a decade of, of him as Daniel Bryan makes him ineligible for the number one spot. These guys all now are, are to me on the same plane as Mochizuki. I just, I, I find him, to be otherworldly. And so I know it's a very long read, uh, the Iron Man article that I wrote, but I would encourage people only for the fact that I've loaded the thing up with hyperlinks. So if you want to watch hyped Mochizuki matches, especially if you have a Dragon Gate Network account, it's super easy. I put links in there to a bunch of stuff. So go knock yourself out and go read that. And I think, uh, Mike, I think I'm ready to talk about Mochizuki versus Takagi version 2024. That's right, the 10th all-time singles match between Misaki Mochizuki and Shingo Takagi. Shingo got the win with the Fire Thun Power Bomb. Uh, interesting match, I would say. Uh, just, like, if we have to, like, kind of do this, I think that we have to admit that it's a different match than the 2015 match, but I think that it kind of had to be that kind of match because of the stage of their career that they were at, and I think in a way, it was beautiful because of that, because this isn't the Misaki Mochizuki that we saw in the ring in 2015. It's almost a full decade later. He's in his, he's entering his mid-50s. He could be an ARP card holder in a couple, couple of years. And the way they managed to work that into the match, I thought was kind of fascinating, especially with the turnbuckle save. Yeah, I mean, he'll be 54 by the time a lot of people hear this, and he is not moving around the ring like a 54-year-old, but he is 
also not moving around the ring like a 44-year-old or a 45-year-old the last time that he and Takagi, well, I guess they, they wrestled in 2017, I think. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the big hyped match, you know, it's like you said, it was, it was almost a decade ago, you know. And, and so they were maybe a step slower. But the thing that I said in my written review was like, you know, I went and I saw The Cure last year at the United Center. And as I was sitting there at that show... I was like, ah, oh, man, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen them in, in 85 after the head and the door came out. And I would have liked to have seen them in 1992 when they were really at the peak of their commercial powers. But goddamn, the cure in 2023 are unreal. Like, this is just an incredible time. I am so glad that I'm here. And these guys are still so damn good. And that was, you know, uh, to me, this match was a victory lap. And the fact that I, I threw four and a half stars on it was a, a nice cherry on top, but it was still just uh, from opening bell to closing bell. The only real blemish being that tree of low spot, which even then I thought they recovered and moved on it was nicely sick. from. I, I I mean recovering because it was going to be so for those who haven't seen it yet. Uh, Masaki Mochizuki's uh, textbook uh, put you wedge you between the turnbuckles and run and kick you and then knee you in the stomach. Uh, Shingo, they the, they were crossed up and they it took them time. They muscled into a tree of woe and then. Masaki Mochizuki then shoot kick Shingo Takagi in the face to make up for it. Yeah, it's wonderful. I you know Perfect. I was able to yeah. I was able to look by it pretty quickly after the uh, the kick delivered to the head. So, uh, you know, a great time. The thing that that I don't want to say caught me off guard, but that I just wasn't expecting was that a lot of the match is actually Mochizuki in control. It's him doing Tope uh, Masaki, and it's him doing his moonsault off of the apron. And it's him delivering a lot of blows to Shingo. And it's not really until the last five minutes of the match that Shingo makes his comeback. And then you start seeing, you know, uh, uh, trading strikes and the and the pumping bomber counters. And then the lariat that he hits uh, Mochizuki with, where Mochizuki does his 360 spin in the air. Loading. That, is, that so. is one of the great bumps in wrestling. That is because we're used to seeing a lot of great bumps off uh, pumping bombers. And that might be a random Dragon Gate 25 thing that we do is we try to list the people who sell Shingo Takagi the best. And Masaki Mochizuki, it's probably him and Akira Tozawa. <laughs> Tozawa, I feel like on those pumping bomber bumps, yeah. because Tozawa would just basically give himself a Cancun tornado off of it and it would look gnarly. Uh, it, it was the way that was almost like a floating like gainer into the pool that Masaki Mochizuki took that made it magical. Yeah, yeah, he takes that bump and then you know he gets he gets pinned and he kicks out at one right after that and then from there you go into the finish with Takagi hitting Mochizuki with the uh, Onita style or Tenru style power bomb depending on who you ask, which you know not a finish that Shingo uses often, but what a delightful change of pace that was. I think it maybe caught the crowd a little bit off guard, caught me off guard for sure watching it, but it was. It was a great finish and a great match, and this is certainly on the level of some of you know their prior encounters, like in 2005, and then the stuff they've done in King of Gate, and uh, not on the level of what they did in 2015, but again, I think that is one of the greatest matches of all time, so if you're comparing this to that, I think that's a rather foolish way of going about it. This was a greatest hits tour, and there's a reason that people buy tickets to the greatest hits tour. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's my match of the year right now. Like, and it by a good margin. But I liked it more than anything I saw on Etienne and Wrestle Kingdom. It just, because when I went to go see it, 
a Shingo and Masaki Mochizuki match in 2024. By God, I got to see a Shingo and Masaki Mochizuki match in 2024. And guess what? These two guys still fucking rule. So I was four and three quarters on it. It, it just was magical to me to see them turn back the, the clock. And I know that's coming from a place of bias, but for what I am into, this is the best thing I've seen in 2024. So. Yeah, I, I mean, the the only thing I have ahead of it is Danielson versus Okada, which I think I just liked way more than most people. I mean, I uh, that match goes three you, or four you more minutes. You love the UV light. The UV light. You, you love the pomp and circumstances. You know what? That. I actually, the problem with the UV light is that they shut off his entrance music. If they just would have kept the song going, it would have been okay. It just, it, it, they built it up too much for not enough payoff, but... I'm okay with the the idea of the UV light. It just it, they shut the music off and it ended up being a bit of a miss there. Uh, you know, Danielson Okada, if that match goes three or four minutes longer, I'm probably going five stars on it. So four and three quarters for that, four and a half for Mochizuki versus Shingo, but just just a feel-good moment. You know, I really like this stuff. And then, you know, in true Dragon Gate form, they don't just live in the past. Afterwards, we get a, a Shingo and Mochizuki Jr. promo battle. And so we have to expect that match at some point, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So in the post, uh, Masaki Mochizuki points out that they never really teamed outside of like a couple times in uh, Junction 3, offers the handshake because he doesn't know when there's going to do it again. Uh, Shingo gladly kind of takes it. Like it's one of those things that, uh, Case, have you ever heard anyone say anything untoward uh, about Masaki Mochizuki or for people who know or not from like a position of great respect? Like, of course, he's going to take that handshake. And then they start in to uh, Mochizuki Jr. and Shingo. Shingo wanting to play with the sun next time. And that would be a little bit of a foreshadow into what would happen the next night. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about the uh, post-match stuff of Shingo and Mochi before we get into the Triangle Gate match from night two? It was uh, it was really enjoyable. Do, do you mind? Can we run down the card for the first night and uh, then we'll then we'll shift because a lot of the storyline happening happened on the second night of this show. So I uh, I'm sorry I passed that review off to you. I'm sure there was a lot of extra writing you have to do. But uh, do you want me to run down the results of the first night real quick just to recap that sort of stuff? Oh sure thing. Go right ahead. Yes, yeah, so this was the January 10th Cork and Hall show. 1485 announced. I talked to somebody. I guess this would have been a week ago. It was a week out from that show. So uh, not not uh, the 10th, but the third. And I was asking them, I was like, hey, you know, can you can you check on ticket sales for me? I just I, I'm a little surprised that this didn't have an advanced sellout like Nakajima versus Miyahara did when Noah ran it in July, because that's kind of what I expected when this match was announced. And at the time. You know, it was uh, it was a show that the person who has attended numerous shows in Corker Hall over the years, they were like, oh, you know, this this doesn't have a very good advance at all. You know, and their their theory was, yeah, that first week of wrestling in Tokyo was just so strong that uh, people are burnt out. And this is a show that's going to be entirely dependent on the walkout. But I think that turned out to be true. And uh, it, it did look like about 1,400 there. The next night, I know they announced just a little over 1,000. Not sure if they hit that mark. It looked a little dire. At, not yeah. dire, but it looked a, looked a little little spotty at times. I'll say that. Dire's too strong, but looked a little spotty at times. Uh, nevertheless, the January 10th show, Hyo and Luis Monte over Kagatora and Ryoya Tanaka in the opener. Big Boss Shimizu and Jackie Funky Kame over uh, the original tag team, Susumu Mochizuki and Yasushi Kanda in match number two. Lingerie, Mudo, and Don Fuji went to a double countout in eight minutes and ten seconds, and then the crowd awarded, or uh, rather, cheered so loud that Lingerie Mudo was able to retain the Open the Awari Gate Championship. 
Gianni Valletta and Kai defeated Punch Tamanaga and Ultimo Dragon. We'll do our Gianni Valletta discussion a little bit later. 10-man tag team match. The Old Guard, BB Hulk, Dragon Kid, KZ, Naruki Doi, and Yamato. They defeated the Rewa Generation guys of Kakuta, Ben K, Benora, Strong Machine J, and their contemporary Dragon Daya. We had a six-man tag team match. Ishin, Shun Skywalker, Yoshiki Kato. They won by DQ against Agan Isu, Shuji Kondo, Takuya Sugawara, and Toru Awashi. I want to start there and move backwards. Mike, what did you think of Zebrats versus Agan Isu? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network it is something where it kind of it went brawling to cheating uh versus cheating and at that point i was just like all right we're just going to get to where this match is going to get thrown out by some fashion. And I just kind of checked out a little bit, but I know that a lot of that was built off of how Zebrats has been treating everything so far this calendar year. I, I was okay with it, I think. Like, I, I, I ended up being about two and a half on it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a quarter star lower, but I feel far more negative than you do because I thought this was a really novel concept, especially on a show like this, 
where you're not relying on this to to be any sort of box office smash. You know, this wasn't the main event of this show. I thought it was a pretty novel idea to do Zebrats for Saganisu. You know, the current heel unit versus one of the legendary heel units and and guys other than Kondo that aren't around for the most part anymore. And, uh, you know, the match up until the finish, it's not like it was anything special. But to me, a match like this, you have two options, right? You know, you either have Zebrats win, you put over the youth, you know, I would have liked to have seen Kato pin Sugawara or, you know, Skywalker pin Owashi just to keep Skywalker strong. You know, I, I thought that would have been a wise option. You also, and I'll use Shuji Kondo here as the specific pinfall getter because he's the guy that will have a future in Dragon Gate. You could have had Kondo win by roll-up on Ishin or on Kato, and I think it would have been clever to have Aganisu, you know, sort of remind people like, hey, we've been doing this a lot longer than these guys. We know a few more tricks. And instead, they went with this DQ finish, and it was really one of the rare times where I thought Drangate didn't read the room at all, and I thought this was a, a major swing and a miss because the stuff with the weapons with Ishin and Awashi and Kato and Sugawara it wasn't over. I didn't get any sort of big reaction. And then the, the finish was, was not only flat, but it was just dumb. And again, it was just like dragging to me. They don't often swing and miss to this level, but this was bases loaded uh, being way early on a changeup, just completely not reading the thing that was ahead of them. And this went from being what I thought was a really cool concept to a really, really bad miss. And it's something where, so the Triangle Gate champions, Shun Skywalker, uh, not not Shun Skywalker, but Ishin, Yoshiki, Kato, and Kai, they have a fight card. At least if we talk about the 10th, they have potentially two defenses lined up next to them. So they're two out of the three guys, actually all three of the heels in the match that are going to be around here really can't lose because you're not going to start building up like another Triangle Gate uh, contender at this point because you already had the convoluted thing that's like all right natural vibe has had next of m3k versus zebrat so it, it is something where like going heel versus heel i think looked a lot better on paper than it did in reality because you would basically unless you were going to feed takuya sugawara to yoshiki kato which is something i'm all for by the way okay it's like if you, if you just let him just get uh uh blood fault just into the mat into a puddle i'd be okay with that but that's kind of like you kind of have to fuck finish to get your way out of it. And that's what happens. We have heel versus heel and you can't really have finishes happen. So you have a very flat and disaffected match when in, when in like on paper again, like the, the idea there is not bad. It's just the situations dictates that this was not the time to do that kind of match. I thought they could have had condo pin Ishan by roll up and move on and not have to discuss the Triangle Gate Championship in relation to Aganisu. It doesn't hurt Ishin a ton. I, you know, I, I'm very much okay with that because then you can get Aganisu to cut a promo after the match and talk about how, you know, Zebrats might be good, but they're not that good. And Aganisu is forever supreme. And, you know, maybe if you do another Toribon show, you can build back up to a second match. But uh, the way they did it, just extremely, extremely unsatisfying and a, a real disappointment. Yeah, and that was like the shame coming off of the uh, New Year special 10-man tag team match. Easily the second best thing on this show. Uh, you had Rewa, genera Rewa Generation leaders in Daya, uh, Kakuda, Minora, Binkei, and Strong Machine J versus the remaining members of the original Big Six, Yamato, BB Hulk, and Uruki Doi, along with the icon of Dragon Gate, Dragon Kid, 
and KZ. Yamato getting the pin on Minora with the Gallery in 15 minutes and 22 seconds. This, I, it is fascinating what's going on right now. I feel like between Kota Minora and Dragon Daya, and just overall like the position of the Rewa leaders as we get into January coming the out. Di- the Daya thing is interesting, right? Because he was. He was a guy that I talked about being a real stock down guy in 2023, 2022. He comes out, you know, at the first cork of the year, he's back, baby. He's brave gate champion. He's twin gate champion. And he's a real focus throughout the year. And last year, you obviously have Kakuta as your dream gate champion, Yoshioka, who I applauded throughout the year for staying relevant without a title. And then towards the end of the year, you have Tanaka who all of a sudden becomes your exciting young high flyer in decourage, which was kind of drag- dragon dragon thing before. So I felt like his thunder really got yanked from him. And I was a a little concerned about what the future would hold for Daya because it took him not a long time with the grand scheme of things, but the difference of, of his public perception, you know, dragon dies in December of 2019 versus December of 2021 when he lost his mask, it was pretty drastic. You know, the first year of his career, it didn't look like all of that hype was going to come to fruition. And then he he started to, to, you know, really trickle back down the card, and I was worried for him. But the Coach Minora match on the Kyoto show, the first show of the year, if you have not seen that, I did not go notebook on it. I went three and three quarters, though. That is well worth your time. And then Daya came out of this match, and I thought he was excellent again. It seems like they are doing something with him sooner rather than later. Yeah, and it's something where, at least within the position of him, that, like, he's been such, like, a brave gate kind of uh fixture since losing the mask in 2021 and then through decouraged i mean the the brave gate other than Hyo's, kind of been a dragon dia's domain over the last few years and him getting the wins on kota minora when kota minora has been slotted above uh dragon dia since dragon dia's debut he debuted after minora and uh, dia even with all these things has not been able to kind of lap him in the way that some others have like Roya Tanaka has started to lap uh, his seniors. It's just fascinating to see, like, now we're kind of seeing this position. But I like where Daya is, and especially given the position of Decourage right now. You can't really have Daya be the the, the number three when you have uh, Kakuda there and uh, Yoshioka is out for however long. Daya needed to kind of get back into that position, and it's nice to kind of see that over menorah and over a gold class right now that just kind of exist you know like it, it it makes sense to me how they're doing this with daya i'm just i'm intrigued to see where they go for it because it's not like daya is a viable dreamgate contender like that's not something i can really entertain at this point no he, he's not a dreamgate guy he shouldn't be a dreamgate guy and you know i don't i i have big hug thoughts later I don't think him challenging Hyo was necessarily the right move. They have history, you know, the uh, the double count out uh, that they did in Hyo's hometown when Daya was Bravegate champion in 2022, and then Hyo beat him for the Bravegate belt at the Ultima 35th anniversary show in 2022, a month later. So they have history there, but I don't I don't feel like that's the direction they could go. I would really like to see Daya and Tanaka as a tag team. You know, uh, it feels like Drangate does the... I will use speed muscle as a build here, you know, fast guy and powerful guy. They have so many successful teams like that. 
I would like to see them just have the two speed guys, you know, to have the two high flyers there. I think that could be a really interesting team. So if I had to choose a direction for Daya to go in the title picture, I would choose that. But you also can't rule out now that Kakuta doesn't have the Dream Gate belt uh, sooner rather than later, a Kakuta Daya Tanaka Triangle Gate challenge. Yeah, and it's something with Daya especially that I I look at like the speed and speed kind of tag team and even though there was the very short uh Dragon Kid and Ata team that really was more about Yave and Lucha and then immediately goes into that endless feud there, you're kind of going to like PK1 to think of a team like that. Yeah, Shima and Dragon Kid, yeah, because the Dragon Kid Ata thing, I mean I I know they won a summer adventure tag league, but that never felt like it was a like a real powerhouse team. Even if no. they were, I mean, they were pushed hard. So they won summer adventure tag league 2016. Ato felt like he was pushed way harder as a singles wrestler than in this actual team with dragon kid that entire year. Yeah. Because that was the year that he was in best of the super junior or super Jacob against uh yeah and he, he had the king of gate matches with tozawa and susumu when i i can't even think of a like i don't know who they beat in the finals I've, i gotta look that up real quick because now i'm so curious about uh what they would have done in summer adventure tag league 2016 so uh, let me i'm just i'm curious now is it's you know it's an over generation segment so we have to take a brief detour here yeah yeah uh i'm gonna get it wasn't osaka zenaroka at that time uh it it was it uh susumu and kagator they beat uh that's a great question the finals no okay i'll i'll uh i'll give you a hint so they beat susumu and kagator in the semis they beat a berserk team in the finals yamadoi it's not yamadoi this was the problem is that by this point yamato had turned and oh is, doi- it, is this doi and t-hawk no this is doi and yashi oh and that was like yeah those matches were never i, I remember doi and yashi wrestled susumu and kagatora on a pay-per-view i guess it must have been dangerous gate 2016 and it was just it was like oh god this it, it wasn't you know it wasn't atrocious like it wasn't offensive but we were coming off of yama doi and for that to be doi's next partner was such a bummer yeah no it just kind of stank like there's a reason why they killed off uh tag leagues until this year yeah, <laughs> or until last year no Made kidding since there so i was four flat on the 10 man tag where did you end up on that i was four flat as well okay. I, you know it was it was trending in the right direction anyways but then you have this final with yamato and Minora, and you know yamato's one year sort of take himself out of the battlefield is over now because after high end ended at the january corkin show he said, I'm going to take a year and not be in a unit, and then we'll see where we are. And I'm certainly not advocating for a greater Yamato push, but I am all for him pestering Kota Minora for the next six months, and I really hope that's what we see. Yeah, because if the next night is any indication, it's not exactly 365, all right, we're going right ahead. He was still teaming with Punch Tomonaga the next yep. night. And, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's the odd thing with the way... With the way the generations are, like yeah. he's he's his peer. It's him and KZ. Well, that like, was you know that was the odd thing was because Yamato has had all the success that he's had, and he's you know his first Dreamgate run was in 2010. We obviously give a veteran status to Yamato, but having KZ be on the veteran team in that match and not feel out of place 
was a very strange. I know they debuted around the same time, but KZ just normally because his career got started in a real way so much later, you know, really 2015. He doesn't he doesn't seem like the old guard, but he is now. Folks have to remember that KZ technically was on excursion at a time where he teamed with Cheech and Cloudy and Chikara's King of Trios. He was in World One. Yeah, no. Not even World One International. He was World in One proper. Silver yeah. and Gold World One. MCKZ. Yeah. Yeah. But like he his first like his big heel turn was twenty eleven. Yeah, man, that's funny. It's funny going back through 2011 Dragon Gate. Yeah. And seeing how little respect KZ had. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it was 2010 he turned because he he was not in World 1 as long because him and Naoki Tanizaki didn't get along. And then he went to Deep Drunkers after that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Deep so Drunkers and the Blood Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, so good stuff on that 10-man tag. I would highly, highly recommend that. Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, Muto versus Fuji? I, I mean, it is fun to see the Oare Gate be around people that the Oare Gate should be around, you know? Like, it, it's all right now. I'm okay with it. Uh, is it how I want to see Minori Sawa? No, but that's just the world we live in. Yeah, I, I understand it serves a purpose. It's not really my thing. And uh, I do want to mention that I thought Hio and Luis Bonte versus Kagatora and Ryoya Tanaka, which set up a Kagatora versus Hio match at Gate of Bayside for the Brave Gate belt, uh, Tanaka once again looked excellent. He is on a hot streak right now. He looks great in every match that he's in. Great chemistry with Yo, and arguably more importantly, great chemistry with Monte. Yeah, that was a real fun thing to see. Uh, let's talk about night two. Uh, should we start with the main event and go the way back? Yes, let's do that. So the ballad of Jackie Funky Kamei over the the start of the year is that. Everyone loves Jackie Funky Kamei, and everyone wants Jackie Funky Kamei to join their side to give him a big hug. And over the first night, he was basically ordered to sit ringside for the main event, Shun Skywalker versus Hio. Shun Skywalker wins with a sec with two sets of moonsault double knees in the post match. We have the big showdown. Which way will he go? Will uh, Jackie Funky Kamei join? Uh, big hug will he sign up and turn heel and join shun skywalker or will he remain member of natural vibe well big boss shimzu ripped off his t-shirt demanded a hug and that's where jackie funky kamei went he jumped up case and had a hug and shimzu held on to him for the next three minutes walking him backstage yeah i would like to see shimzu on espn2 doing strongman competitions yeah it it, it was impressive to see I, that. yeah he just like there there are strong guys in dragon gate you know monte is very strong skywalker is very strong but shimizu has that just that freaky sideshow carnival type of strength yeah it is something where and i think it is like if you are a thrower like a track and field thrower like your strength just operates differently in, in certain kind of ways because it's the same it was like the same thing like whenever i knew someone who shot who threw shot putter discus that it is a different kind of it's like farm strength case I, you know it's funny you say that i gotta send you the photo when we're done so i did a uh, a big order of dragon gate related magazines this week and they got to my apartment one i am the proud owner of the program from the first toriumon x show 
And let me tell you, we're going to be doing, Mike, you don't know this. We're going to be doing some Toriumon X content for Dragon Gate 25. I, I have Hell some yeah. ideas. I have some ideas that I will talk to you about after the show. But uh, <laughs> uh, one of them is the weekly pro for a while would do like a bonus issue that was essentially a Dragon Gate yearbook. And so now I have 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. And I think that's the last year that they did them. But the 2015 one is, you got to remember, they kind of did a mini generational war there with T-Hawk and Ata and Shimizu versus everybody else. And so they have these great photo spreads of T-Hawk, Ata, and Shimizu in their like life away from the ring. And T-Hawk is uh, uh, pictured with his motorcycle, which I didn't yep, know yep. was a thing that T-Hawk oh, did. He is, he's like... <laughs> I don't know if he still has one. He was like a big triumph guy. Like he okay. was a big like hog guy. He, yeah. He likes, so he likes hogs. <laughs> That's what I hear. Um, so it's a lot of T-Hawk on his motorcycle, which is very funny. And then there's an entire spread of Shimizu and his shot put skills. And that is also very, very funny. Well, he was a nationally ranked shot put thrower in high school. Like that's a, it, it is like a legit thing that like, I remember there was a Prime Zone clip where they were talking about finishing moves in the Die Hearts days case, and Masaki Mochizuki is like legitimately impressed when like Shimizu goes like, "Yeah, no, like I went to national high school nationals for my <laughs> for my hometown." He's like, "Wow, okay, yeah, I who thought, thought? I, yeah, I thought you just threw shot put in high school. I didn't know you're actually good at the." Yeah, no, that's uh, that's good stuff right there. So uh, Shimizu is a is a bit of a freak when it comes to his strength. Jackie Funky Kame, I I love. I love the idea of the angle that everybody wants him. Now I will say very reminiscent of what they did just two years ago with Jason Lee. And I, I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing that they're essentially just running that angle back. The, the thing that I'm hung up on and it serves a, a greater point of frustration, you know, about six months ago, we looked at the, the quote unquote new era of dragon gate from 2021 when Rio Saito was named general manager onwards and sort of the strengths and the pitfalls of, of him as a booker. And my big complaint is, is look, I think, I think he gets cute with the open, the Dreamgate championship. And I think it hinders the growth of the company and Luis Monte, who granted had strong support as Diamante in Zebrats, but still has not been a baby face for that long. When you consider the time that he took off, You've now got Monte in a situation where he's wrestling Kamei in match five and then is involved in this main event angle that is centered around Kamei, even though the main event was Skywalker versus Hio, which I want to talk about that match a little bit more. And Monte is stomping on Kamei's head and he's beating down a guy much smaller than him and Kamei is doing comeback spots against him. And it's like, wait a minute, they've positioned their heroic Mexican champion as one of two options, either one, a bully because he's beating up Kamei or two, a poor sport because he's pouting when Kamei doesn't want to team with him. And I once again think they're getting too cute with the Dreamgate champion. And all of this is happening while his uh, his Dreamgate opponent at Gate at Bayside is also engaged in this uh, weird kind of storyline. It, it, it's something where I I get that they need to fill out the side for Hio and 
Luis Monte. Like it's very clear. Like, like we've seen it long enough. That, like the story is all the time case. How what what is the quickest way for a Dreamgate Championship ring to kind of fall flat? Uh, I, well, ooh, there's a few different ways you can go with that. I don't want to say the wrong thing, so you go. The quickest way is basically get them restricted into that they only can do very few things because they don't have any partners. They, okay, all right, same page. Sorry, sorry, I didn't fill in the blank yeah. there. I was, no, I was afraid no, no you were going to throw me a curveball, but that's exactly right. Yeah, because we go directly back 2019. Ben Kane, Shun Skywalker. You had you were able to play it off with Shun having to take every single fall in that tag team but the thing is is that you forced yourself into shun having to take every single fall in that tag team because you only had those two together and they were unaligned other than that so it makes sense why kamei should be why there should be some intrigue with big hook like they they should be wanting to poach people like people like kamei make sense for this it's just something that does this need to be happening at the main event when you are building up your new champion for his first ever defense in a brand new building in a brand new just the company really does not do big early of the year shows usually it is champion gate and should you really be doing this will they won't they about just filling out a unit in your main event right before gate of bayside because gate yeah. Bayside's in 11 days case jesus yes it is that's oh january going faster than i thought it was you know it's just it's another one of these things like yeah, this you you have a built-in story with Skywalker and Monte that feels like it could be more and more heated the more you know the more fuel you throw on that fire and instead they're taking this detour with Kamei and on one hand you know the the, the story they're telling is interesting I, I I said last month you know I really didn't know what direction they were going to go if it was going to be Kamei with Big Hug or Kamei with Vibes and I was invested in that story to a degree. But I feel like this made Monte look really, really bad. And I just don't get why they would do that. Yeah, where like the only thing that this really kind of got me out of this made me think, oh, maybe there's a chance that uh, Kamei is going to turn heel now and screw over Monte and Shun's going to be a three-time Open the Dream Gate champion. Like they've managed, the one thing they've managed to do in the storyline is place that in my head, something that was not even crossing my mind at Final Gate. Like, that's the only thing they've, they've really accomplished with this storyline to me. So I don't know your thoughts on the second show at all. I, I have a feeling I'm going to have some some hotter takes. I don't want to say hot takes, but at least some hotter takes. One of them being that I went four stars in the main event with Hyo versus Shun Skywalker. Thought it was outstanding. Thought, uh, for as much as I like Shun, everybody knows I like Shun. This was a heroic Hyo performance. I thought he was great. And on top of wanting to know what you thought of the match overall... I really have to now ask you a month and a half into big hug or really two months. Hyo is outshining Luis Monte on every show now, right? Oh, Hyo is the mega face. Yeah, it's it, it, I, I don't know how concerned we should be, but it's happening. I think that we have to be fair and recognize that in this company and in this promotion, uh, Luis Monte was always going to kind of lag behind just because of fluency. It is just because how Mike intensive this promotion is that whoever it was, like when you had Ultimo there translating him, that worked out pretty well in, in July because we know the fans know where Ultimo is and they know Luis Monte and they want to hear what Luis has to say so they can sit through Ultimo. What they did not realize is, and even as probably one of the biggest defenders of Hio Watanabe around, 
I don't think anyone uh, kind of realized that the crowd would be this hungry for Hyo, that this crowd would be all aboard Hyo main eventing Corquins, uh, being Brave Gate champion, leading the promos, doing the show closes, doing all of those things, being in that role to help out Luis Monte in ways that he was going to need this help. You kind of just gave him the one guy that the crowd has just decided, oh, he's been really funny as a heel. Now he is a babyface. He's kind of hot. We're going with this. Like, he, he's completely, in a way, like, ripped big hug away from him in this unit from the Dreamgate champion because it kind of has to be around Hyo right now. The interesting thing with Hyo is that obviously the crowd response is there, but Hyo is also rising to the occasion and is doing the best work of his career. It's really a perfect storm of a guy who just has the right amount of momentum, and it seems like every step he takes, he is determined to keep that momentum. And I'm super, super impressed with the work that he's doing right now. And him versus Skywalker, you know, class of 2016 in the main event, I thought it was I thought it was excellent. It was, you know, to, to come full circle, reminded me a little bit of, of Shima versus Mochi in the hair match because it was a car crash and a lot of different things happened. And I loved it all from start to finish. And I think that for this kind of side storyline, you had the class of 2016. Hyo basically being the person who facilitated Shun's mental breakdown in a lot of different ways and getting him onto his side. I think that you had this mileage that was worth paying off here. And Hyo, it's never been necessarily a aspect of physical ability with the guy. It is always been that he's a smaller wrestler he was always someone that we figure talked out brave gate when he was a rookie he talked about being the best brave gate champion ever it is just now the aspect of it that he is able to like put it all together and adding in just the amount that the crowd is into him like do i think that Hio is doing the best work of his career right now in 2024 yes i do but do i think it's much like of a magnitude better than the stuff he was doing at least in King of Gate last year, uh, Mr. Final Four. Like, I feel like that he was still putting out strong stuff there. It's just he has gone to the top of his game, and there's no one that the, the audience wants to see more right now than Hyo. And it is just adds to every match he's in right now. Yeah, you and I knew he was he was talented, but he's doing some stuff that's even impressing me. I'm just, I'm really... I'm really enjoying this era of his career, and I'm glad that it happened the way that it did. And uh, I thought that, like I said, I went four stars in the main event. I thought it was great. I was at three and three quarters, just a shade off of it. But I just, it, it, it's something, it's like, how do you really quantify when the number one uh, changed, uh, I guess, the uh, variable is just the crowd interest because it is such a marked change and it's more and it's longer than I expected. Like I thought the crowd would be into big hug or into Hio being a baby face for like a month or two. But by the time he's starting doing uh, brave gate defenses, everyone's going to be like, all right. Yeah. It's baby face. Hio. we're glad to see him, but this seems to have staying power and it'll be kind of remarkable to see at Bayside against Gaga Tor, And then as we move on to Memorial gate and champion gate this year, how, how Big Hug's going to evolve and see the staying power of Hio, because that's kind of the big thing I, I feel like. Is, as long as Hio's over, I feel like Luis Monte is going to be in a pretty good position just because of the reliance that needs to be there for him. But it's just, it, it's, a, it's the fact that, that like the guy was always going to have this opportunity to get lapped, I guess. I don't, 
I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving up on Monte yet. I'm oh, no, certain, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly not there. I do think I do think it's a misstep having him again step on Jackie Funky Kamei's head on the floor of Cork and Hall. Thought uh, maybe we should have avoided that spot. Maybe yeah, made look, him look a little mean. But, yeah, let's talk about the singles match now. I feel yeah, like it's a good time uh, but, to talk about this. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the the heel momentum is uh, is very impressive, and uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on Kamei versus Monte. So I was three and a half on Kamei versus Monte. I think we did see that, like, th- there's a big question in, in my head whenever, like, I see, uh, especially Jackie Funky Kamei, where he is right now, and coming off of uh, 18 months where this guy has really just rocket shipped himself. And I, I kind of came into this match wondering, like, okay, Luis Monte is the person that he seems like he has his best chemistry with, but... I don't know if this is like the best Jackie Funky Kamei singles match, to be honest. Like the, the like the moments were great. The the gross tombstone pile driver that went into the the closing stretch, the way that they played off of like the big hug into like Jackie Knife and then the well Vuelta finale was all great and hit all the notes there, but I liked Shun versus Hyo a good bit more than it. I liked Shun versus Hyo more than this. I thought it had a a slow start and a great finish. You know, it really, it was odd, you know, for two guys that have such great chemistry, arguably the best in the company, it started a little, uh, not shaky, but just like, oh, it's, you know, just a a match, you know, just two guys kind of going out there and doing things. By the end, it felt like we were watching a genuine Monte versus Kame performance and I was into it. But, you know, it kind of... Kind of goes into the Monte thing where it's like, all right, you know, he's working a new style now. This is one of the first big singles matches that he's had. Certainly his first big singles match since winning the Dreamgate belt. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I've seen him have better performances before. I just I want to make sure everything's OK with him uh, because it does feel like he's cooled off just a little bit due to this Kamei story. And it's like the first major singles match that he had, like since he's turned babyface, that's really against someone much smaller than him. Yeah, because. All of Kakuta and Chimizu or Skywalker, both of those guys are bigger than Luis Monte physically. So he was able to do Super Tigre. He was able to fly around a little bit. How does that work now as a babyface against, if not the smallest person on the roster, one of the smallest three people? Like, and it's still kind of still wait to see if he's figured that out fully, I feel like. I mean, the good news is, is that Kamei is probably the biggest hurdle that he'll have to overcome in terms of that specific issue right. because yeah, for you sure. know, he and Daya, I think Monte is so popular that, you know, it's not going to be an issue if he's in the ring with Daya. It's not going to be an issue if he's in the ring with UT. It's not even going to be an issue if he's in the ring with Jason. Kamei is, is kind of the problem here where size and star power meet in a very unfavorable way for Monte at this current time. And that's why I, I'm against the idea of this angle. Yeah, because the only thing that comes off of is the only person who's really getting much out of all of this is Kame. Like yeah. which which hey, that's great. I'm all for making Big Match Jack the focal point of Dragon Gates twenty twenty four. That's just how if you were to ask me, case, hey Mike, twenty fifth anniversary year, what do you want to do lead off? I was like, you know the one person, like the person that we are gonna focus on, you know. We started off in twenty twenty two. It was all about D Courage. Twenty twenty three was all about Madoka Kakuda. 2024, Jackie Funky Kamei. Like, hey, that's great, but it's something with someone as, like, I guess, like, with with Luis Monte, I still kind of am wondering if, like, when they took him away from the chase, 
like the chasing down Shun Skywalker, chasing down the Dreamgate, or have we lost anything? And at least, and this is only one data point this one weekend, I feel like I'd rather have him chasing right now than being champion. I, look, this is, it doesn't matter how successful this run of the uh, of Monte with the Dreamgate belt is or any run of Monte with the Dreamgate belt is for the rest of his career I'm going to be irked that he won the belt at final gate I think it was a a a bad decision in the moment and I think it's one that could age really poorly and it's not that he doesn't deserve the title it's not that he's not over enough for the title it's that there was so much left in this chase and I I for the life of me just just can't figure out why if you're going to do the title change why you don't put the belt on Skywalker. And then, Mike, think of the level of intrigue we'd have. Even if he doesn't win, he doesn't need to win. But if it's Skywalker versus Monte at Gate of Bayside and Monte's the challenger, all of a sudden this Kamei stuff doesn't matter as much because, oh my God, we've got Monte challenging for the Dreamgate belt. And instead, he's one of the rare guys in history now that won the Dreamgate belt in his first challenge, and it was in a stupid three-way match. Yeah. That's why I, I mean, roll back the audio from uh, right after Final Gate. I thought they still had mileage for this storyline, not just for Gate at Base, I guess. I think that they could have strung this still out, like do the full Royal Road, bring King of Gates back to May. You could have just basically handed Luis Monte the Dreamgate title at Kobe World this year from Shun Skywalker. And. I think that you had the mileage there that wouldn't have gotten to be toe-tappy or looking at the watch at any point in time. There's a lot of things they could have done, and I just think they're going to really regret whether or not they get the belt off of Monte and Yokohama, which I think is a real possibility. I, I, I think Shun could win, and it wouldn't shock me at all. I would actually encourage them to do so. It's just going to be a problem where... You know, Joe Lanza used to say this a lot when he was talking about, you know, I, I think the specific one he referenced was the first time Sha uh, Sasha Banks won the, the women's title on the main roster was you only get that pop once. You know, you only get your first world title pop once and it's a moment. And my big issue, 24 hours removed from Final Gate, 48 hours removed from Final Gate, I think 72 is when we finally recorded the podcast was, hey, you know, if Monte wins, that's fine. But he didn't even like... You you should have had him pin Skywalker. It would have been more interesting had Kakuta been bounced first, and then you have Monte and Skywalker in the finals because then you know Shun could at least have the out of hey you know it was a three way match you know he's got to beat me one on one. They didn't even have that you know it was just it was Monte winning the Dreamgate belt against Madoka Kakuta, and with all due respect to both those guys, that's not a story that I was invested in, am invested in, or probably will ever be invested in. No, I'm entirely with you there. Well, we're talking about title belts, case. Okay? So let's talk about the one other uh, Dragon Gate title match that we have that we had over this double header. Open the Triangle Gate Championship match. Z Brats making their first successful defense. Kai Ishin and Yoshiki Kato. Uh, Kai gets the pin on Yuzushi Kanda, M3K, Masaki Mochizuki, Sumo Mochizuki, and Kanda with the authorized Gnosuke clutch in 12 minutes and 23 seconds. Zebrats advances, defends the belts, and they will take on Strong Machine J, Yokohama native, uh, KZ, and Big Boss Shimzu, and the Yokohama versus Yokohama. It's almost a derby between Natural Vibes and Zebrats at Gate of Bayside. So this is my other, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I certainly feel the need to bring it up. I 
loved this match. I thought it was excellent. I went four stars on the dot. It was something that I'll talk about because I want to hear your thoughts before I explain why I liked it. It just completely suckered me in in all the right ways, but I have a feeling I might be on an island here. So I was just a shade lower. I could not go notebook. I was three and three quarters on it. I thought this was fascinating. And at least for me, I like the fact that they did the double count out tease early and immediately went from there into like, all right, now we, we got that out of our systems here. And then really until the finishing stretch and the boxes came out there, it felt like that they tightened it up there and it paid off really well. Yeah, this was uh, not a, not your father's Triangle Gate Championship match. You know, this was not Blood Generation versus Doofixer. This was, in a way, very subdued. It was very slow. It was worked at a very deliberate pace. You had Bruisers in there and Kai and Ishin and Kato and Susumu, uh, Mochizuki and, and Kanda, certainly not exactly moving around like Dragon Kid and Masato Yoshino, but... It was just a proper sort of slugfest trios match. And then I thought they completely stuck the landing as they went down the stretch where you have uh, Kato attack Mochizuki Jr. with the box. And then Kanda comes in with a box of his own and he takes out Kato. And then Jr.'s on the outside and he gets revenge on Kato. And then he gets a shot at on Ishin for good measure. And then you have this great closing stretch. And it is Kai who once again uh, is able to win a big match with the authorized Gonosuke clutch. This just uh, this was proper pro wrestling. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't a spectacle. But I thought they milked every second of this that they could. And I loved it. Let's talk about some bad cop Yoshiki Kato. Because the growth we've seen of him as Triangle Gate champion, I really have enjoyed him and Zebrats and just each time we see him he looks more cool in a way like yes. and it was and it was something like somehow he got more cool between the 10th and the 11th when he started having bad cop on his tights I was like that's a nice touch there yep and it is something where we got to see him as the smiley kind of baby face rookie tag guy that he is just bigger than everyone else and he's able to get stuff done but we all knew in the back of our heads case that Yoshiki Kato was here to be a nasty, vicious heel. And it's just nice to see just when you know something's going to work out and it actually happens in, in this crazy world out there. It's like, yeah, Yoshiki Kato, great heel. Knew it. Glad that's confirmed here. Absolutely. You know, it's not it's not one of those things that's been super flashy. Kato, despite only being a heel for two full months, he turned in November He's, he's kind of wrestling with the confidence and the presence of somebody that's been healed for a very long time. It just it just worked. They turned him at the right time. I thought the angle was great. And his performances, you know, this was probably the best one that he's had so far. But uh, it's been it's been smooth sailing for him. I really like where he's at right now in terms of his development. And it's something that I know that both of us look at Kai as someone that I would say if we had a clock case that we each had everyone on the roster and say, like, are we getting close to midnight on their face or heel turn there? Kai's is the next one to go off right now. That alarm's about to go off here. But I think that there is some value, at least. We, we've seen it with Ishin. The more that Ishin's worked with Kai, he's kind of figured himself out in that way. I think it's nice to have Kai kind of captain this Triangle Gate team of a bunch of uh, of just motherfuckers, basically. The, the, the Ishin and Kato are just 
awful people they're like they, they are great heels like, like it comes off so well and i think some of that we have to give a little bit of credit to their captain kai you know who kai reminds me of right now oh who is this rob gronkowski okay okay uh is, is it just the charismatic presence the uh the, the ability to uh, live off of all of your ad money and put all the uh, salary <laughs> in the bank. No, it's not that it's that like, I don't, I don't know if you remember Gronk his last few seasons, he was wrestling or not wrestling, but you know, football players obviously wear pads, but Gronk was moving around like a transformer because he just had these giant elbow pads and arm sleeves that he would wear. And Kai has that arm injury that he's still nursing. And so he's all taped up like to the elbow, but then he also has this giant elbow pad. And it just reminds me a lot of late era Gronk. Cause he, it's not, you know, again, he's not Masato Yoshino. He's not moving around super fast either. <laughs> and I was watching this match going, God, it's like, it's like if Gronk was a middleweight, this is exactly what he'd look like. Yeah, and hasn't Kai had like knee issues in the past? Like, I wonder yes. like if those pants on his pants, there's some big braces on there. That like, that is uh, very very likely. I don't know that for sure, but that would not shock me at all. Yeah. So like, no, no. Now, I, I mean, that's one of, like my favorite like kinds of football players are the ones that are basically now just in a suit of armor. And yeah, you the, couldn't tackle Gronk towards the end of his career, not because he was so powerful. It's like, you couldn't grab onto him. He just had so much shit on him. Yeah. It's, it's like, no, like you can't, he, his, his arms and it, it has like a musculature to it. Like <laughs> it, it is something where it's outside stabilizing. It's almost like he has an exoskeleton. You can't do anything about it. I, 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 I just, I gotta say, I really like Kai. I think he, he does. Such, he, he does such good work. And I, I said this, you know, I don't know if it was six months ago. I don't know if it was a year ago. I get, I especially if you're not watching every Corkin show, you know, let alone Osaka, Kyoto, Fukuoka, the YouTube uploads, I get even in 2024, you see Kai's name on the screen and you go, oh, you know, I don't want to do this. But man, he's so good. And, and, you know, credit to him again. You know, it's why I asked you a few months ago whether Muto was more proud of Sonata or Kai, because obviously Sonata is doing it on a bigger scale. But man, good for Kai. He found honest-to-God work in Dragon Gate. He's a contracted wrestler now. I can't believe how good he is in this promotion. I just really like him. And it's something where, like, I totally understand if you're someone who mainly followed him for, through Mudo, like, up until he left Wrestle 1. Makes entirely, like, why you might want to write someone off. Like, given the uh, career he had up to that point, but he's someone that really has taken the bull by the horns and I, I again i think like his role like yes he's probably ready to turn face again at a certain point but he's such a good captain of these heels and that's for the champions uh zebrats they will go on to get a bay side to face natural vibes that was not it for the uh defeated challengers m3k in the post-match uh Everyone grabs a microphone. First is Misaki Mochizuki. He states that he is uh, moving on from his overprotective sports dad character. And part of that is when he handed the microphone over to Mochizuki Jr. Mochizuki Jr. announced that he will be returning at Gate of Bayside. And at Gate of Bayside, there will be the final match of... Is it... Are they breaking up at Gate of Bayside or is it 2-7? They are breaking up at the Cork and Show. The Gate of Bayside is officially the Mochizuki Jr. return match. Okay, so 
at Gate of Bayside, it will be the Mochizuki return match. And then at uh, the Corkin, that is uh, February 7th, M3K will disband and upon disbandment, uh, Mochizuki Jr. will be going on a three-month European excursion. He'll be based out of British Kingdom Pro Wrestling, and he's already been announced for WXW uh, out-of-tournament contests for him at uh, uh, the 16-carat uh, Oh, is he not or- in the tournament? I, I, I thought it said non-tournament. Oh, that him. sucks. That's, yeah. that's a bummer. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was. But uh, Mochizuki Jr. going on excursion. It's going to be late February for three months. That probably gets him out until that first June Corican, I would yeah, I, I would I would think dead or alive at the at the absolute earliest, but probably that June Corkin is is more like it. So the uh, Gate of Bayside match, it's M3K versus Ultimo, Yamato, Hulk, and Doi. And then that Corkin match is uh, Mochizuki and Mochizuki, uh, as in the father and the son versus Susumu and Kanda. I, uh, I, I knew this, but I forgot about this, that Memorial Gate this year is in between. It's, early. It, it's yeah. February 4th, so it's a week after Bayside and before that Corkin show. That is... Yeah. It's in the back of my head. I was like, "Yeah, I know that they're moving around that," but I did not realize that it's before that cork went. That show, that, that show is going to draw like three hundred fans. They're going to do the coldest Triangle Gate match ever on that show. They better do a Wakayama Winners Tornado match. Yeah, I guess that was a fun. That was a fun gimmick. I I wish they they did that still. Call up Larry Dallas and get that format back. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Larry will get right on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, actually, you know what? You DM Larry Dallas, he will get back to you. That man, that man is a hustler. He knows where there's a business opportunity there. So actually, he would be the one <laughs> to do that. <laughs> um, look, we'll we'll do a larger M3K eulogy in February. But yeah, this unit coming to an end is uh, it's both sad and I also think it's a big victory lap for me because everybody wanted this unit to last six months to break up, to get Junior on his own little path. And I I repeatedly said when they formed, I said, this unit has legs to it. And I thought those legs were just the father and the son tag team. I didn't expect Susumu and Kanda to have the year that they had last year, which was just the cherry on top. But this unit, I mean, when you think about it, Masaki Mochizuki is the one who got the least out of it. And during this time, you know, he, he has the Shingo match, if you want to count that. And he has the Yuki Yoshioka Dreamgate Challenge. And he has the feud versus Ishin and Ishin Ricky, you know, the father. So Masaki Mochizuki got a lot out of it, but it obviously it helped get Junior's career off to a good start. And then you have Susumu and Kanda, the original tag team, doing what they did and putting forth a career year as a team last year. So a really effective unit all told. It was both yours and mine's unit of the year last year which I remember being really surprised when you told me that because I've obviously been a huge fan since the inception. But this now is uh, certainly going to create a hole in Dragon Gate. I mean, you could argue that Junior is hurt enough that his his uh, his absence won't be felt a ton. But man, this company just feels better when Junior's around. So having him gone for three months is, uh, is going to hurt a little bit. And it is something where he goes and... What do you really have for the original M2K left to do? Like this unit in a lot of ways. And it was something that Susumu tweeted, Susumu tweeted afterwards was talking about like we were here kind of as uncles and as support. And now our time's done with that. And I don't know necessarily like 
with Masaki Mochizuki, he's at this point that he can do whatever he kind of wants and he will go unaligned because that's kind of what Masaki Mochizuki does. But I don't know what you really go to now with a Yazushi Kanda who is coming off his career year and a Susumu Mochizuki who has been at the mountaintop so many times. And this was kind of seen as like the transition out of the front line. And that will be the, the interesting thing to kind of see over these months. I, I, I wonder how much of this is with when we talk about how uh, the, the injuries with Mochizuki Jr. Like it was a two year long unit case, but do you think this unit would have been this long if Mochizuki Jr. was healthy? Like, I think this might have been an 18-month, one-year unit that just kind of got strung along because, sadly, at this point of his career, Mochizuki Jr. Uh, got hurt a bunch. I don't know because I actually, you know, I understand why they're they're ending things now. And if it means an elevated presence for Junior when he comes back, I'm all for it. But I I always felt like they had a lot more that they could do you know the fact that we never got Susumu and Kanda defending the titles uh the twin gate belts against the father and son team I always felt like that was a miss and I just I I feel like no you know he, let's say junior all told I don't know what did he meant he's missed four months all told maybe five months they could have filled that. I, I feel like it was like six months I mean he's been out since last fall yeah let me let me see now because I'm, I'm I'm curious about kind of where he's been because you got to remember he you know he had a pretty big injury right after he debuted as yeah, he well had a, he had the concussions right yeah so he uh he essentially misses all of may 2022 all of may 2023 only wrestles once in june and then most of november and december now so yeah so about five months all told since he debuted or i guess oh he debuts in june may's a dark match so yeah four to five months all told he's been out you you throw in a, a month here of M3K versus D-Courage, which I don't feel like we got a ton of. There's a lot of stuff with them and vibes that I never feel like was fully explored. And we never did Junior versus Shun in any real capacity uh, either. So no, I actually think they left a lot of meat on the bone with M3K, but I get it. You need young and hungry guys. Junior's young and hungry. He has the talent. Send him away. Have him come back with a new name, and I think you're good to go. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see like what evolutions we kind of get to see out of him from that with it but we we will get the uh, farewell coming up over the next few weeks uh let's go through the remainder of that cork win before we uh close out uh we had a 10-man tag uh kz big boss shimizu strong machine j jason lee ut losing to the toriyaman originals team ultimo dragon don fuji ginky horiguchi Kanichiro Rai and Kagatora. Kagatora on the path for the Brave Gate title, uh, title shot. Wins with the Guramakakari. Uh, Yamato and Punch Tomonaga lose to Naruki Doi and Shuji Kondo with a Bakatari sliding kick in 8 minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, the opener was uh, Gold Class, Kota Minora, Binkei, and BB Hulk versus D-Courage. Madoka Kakuda, Dragon Dai, and Ryoya Tanaka. And the last thing I wanted to touch on today, Kays. Singles match, Daiki Yanagiuchi versus Gianni Valletta. Gianni Valletta wins in 46 seconds with a King Kong knee drop after a good six minutes of fighting around a not very full cork and hall. And case, Gianni Valletta, the new foreigner in Dragon Gate, uh, appeared first on the night before teaming with Kai versus Ultimo and Punch Tomonaga. He gets Daiki here. 
He's going to face UT at Gate of Bayside. Case, what do you make of Johnny Valletta? You know, I know what you think of him because we talked about this before we started recording, and I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder. I find him certainly not to be good, but I think to be far less offensive than you do. You know, I'm curious to see if his house show matches make tape. He's wrestling Nagano uh, tomorrow, Saturday, the 13th, and then he's wrestling Seth Shoko Boy on Sunday on the Kakuta Homecoming show. The thing that I'm pressed by, you know, the, the thing that I'm not really sure what to do with is especially his debut, that tag team match. I think they did everything right. They gave him a huge entrance. He killed everybody. And it just didn't seem like people cared. And then the next night, uh, he does the same entrance. I don't know if you noticed this. If you didn't, go back and watch it. Gianni Valletta does his entrance on the second show. And you can see as he's walking by one of the bleachers, President Keto is just standing with his arms folded in the in the shadows of Cork and Hall, which I thought was really, really funny because he is not... Uh, like he used to be really active on social media and he's not anymore. Like I rarely see keto around, but you can see him watching that entrance very, very closely. And then they do, you know, a, a sub one minute match with he and Daiki. I have a really hard time analyzing any bit of his skill because what we saw was essentially two glorified angles and I can't knock them for trying because I thought the execution of the angles was strong, but look, coming out of these shows, do I have any interest in watching him? No, not necessarily. But I also, I can't give him too harsh of a grade because I really don't know what he is. I think we know what he is. He's doing a Bruiser Brody ripoff. Like, which, it's pretty which clear is, what which he is. Which is something that I, th I think is, uh, on one hand, I get why he's doing it. On the other, much like with El Hiel Del Santo 18 months ago, when we talked about how his return to Japan probably meant less to the contemporary Dragon Gate crowd than any other promotion. I think a Brody knockoff gimmick is a little bit of the same problem. I think in All Japan or Noah or as a, you know, a, a cheeky undercar New Japan act, this probably has some legs to it, but it's Dragon Gate and the people that are wearing the Jackie Funky Kamei t-shirt probably don't have an affinity for Bruiser Brody. And if they know of Bruiser Brody, it's because Bruiser Brody is one of the few truly transcendent wrestlers in a Japanese culture that like, if you read like a manga case or like something you're and there's like any sort of reference to like pro wrestling more often than not, you will probably see something of like Terry Funk and Bruiser Brody. Like if they have Westerners in it, it's going to be those two are Abdul the Butcher. So like there is a general awareness of him, but it to me, it comes off like so pessimistic is the way I kind of want to put it there. Like this is going through the crowd and fighting for five minutes, showing off that the attendance is not good and going and doing this where Daiki very smartly goes, I'm not doing this crowd brawl. And he just goes and beats the crap out of a bunch of, uh, of rookies. I just wonder like, who does this serve other than Ultimo's friend gets a booking Ultimo's friend gets to work Japan again after all Japan writes the guy off. Well, like, I see. I'm not, I'm not that pessimistic on it because this is the type of thing where I, I can buy into the pitch. You know, if I'm sitting down with the powers that be in the room and they say, okay, 
Drangate has this whole crop of green boys. He's going to destroy all of them. He's going to Why does that to be him? Why is not well like why is that to be this guy that's here? Well that I mean that that's a that's a separate issue of, you know, what foreigners they can get over right now. But even with him, the problem is that like I didn't watch him in all Japan. So I don't know what he can do in a match that's longer than five minutes, but I can certainly buy into this idea that he could become this kind of cult thing, even in Dragon Gate, if this all goes perfectly. Because again, I think they did everything right. And that the problem is that it just didn't work. But there's an alternate timeline where for some reason in some universe, this is super hot. And now all of a sudden you have a Bruiser Brody guy and Zebrats. And that's a positive more than a negative. It just didn't work, even though I think they did everything right. I mean, they did this kind of before with Brody Lee, but it worked like it did. But they didn't like feed I guess at that time, Ata and T-Hawk to him for this. Like, I just, like, you essentially, you have this amount of time to build up your guys. You have so many so many issues of ring time and getting guys ring time. Like, that was one of the, the big things about people retiring and leaving a company. Is like, that's fine because next up, next up. Well, what is, what's the purpose of it if your next up is getting eaten up in five minutes in front of Tokyo, Cork and Holt? This is Daiki's home venue. Okay, this is the place where the guy uh, worked as a part-timer and they decide like, okay, we're going to do this there. Like, it's not just like that, that this miss is that this was the decision to be made. Like, yeah, there's discussion about what foreigners can come over to Dragon Gate and whatnot. And is Johnny Valletta the worst foreigner to ever appear in Dragon Gate? No, not by a, not by a long shot. He's not good. This character is not very good from what I can tell. It just comes off as pessimistic to me. And it comes off as a waste of everyone's time because I don't watch Dragon Gate to see a Bruiser Brody ripoff character. And it's very clear that neither does the roster. And instead of doing something like that over that five or six minutes that could have helped Daiki Yanagiuchi, you kind of just sent him to the slaughter. He gets basically hip attacked, run over, splashed, a really rough looking claw slam, and then a bad looking knee drop. And it doesn't serve anyone other than Johnny Valletta looks good. But is Johnny Valletta going to be here in a year? Is Johnny Valletta going to be here in a month? I don't know. Just seems like a waste. The knee drop is bad, which is a shame, because I thought he did a good iron claw choke slam on punch the, uh, the night before and then kind of killed the finish with the knee. Look, I'm not bothered by the Daiki thing because he'll do a tope suicida next month and all will be forgotten. It's not. I, I don't look at that as any sort of long-term issue. I can understand wanting to take a chance with this, because I think it was high ceiling, low floor, and there's no middle ground on something like this. It was either absolutely going to work or it wasn't going to work at all. And unless something really turns around at Bayside, which I don't expect for it to, it's going to be one of those things that's not going to work at all. But I also didn't find it to be offensive. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, it's just something that for me, I, I, it, it's not like, yeah, Daiki's going to come back. He'll do a tope suicide and be fine. I just... Like, this is five minutes of ring time that you could have used for something else. It's again, and I'll repeat myself here, just because I thought it was so interesting. I think they did everything right and no one cared. And very rarely do I feel like that happens in this promotion, but I have no notes on the way they presented them. I thought the entrance in a way was kind of cool, but it's way less cool when no one's reacting to it. And thus his fate was sealed. 
Yep. No, that's entirely fair. Uh, any other n- notes on night two or on uh, the the shows in Kyoto and Osaka before we get out here? We really didn't touch on Kyoto and Osaka, but uh, that was the kickoff shows. Did you have anything from there that you wanted to touch on that? Well, I'll, I'll close with this because it'll tie them all together. So I've got five matches and the notebook at this point of the year. I have Mochizuki versus Shingo at four and a half stars from January 10th. I have Shimizu, Kamei, Keizy, and Strong Machine J versus Ishin, Kai, Shun, and Kato from Kyoto on the sixth at four and a quarter. I have the 10-man tag from the 10th at four stars, and then the Triangle Gate match and Hyo versus Shun on the 11th at four stars as well. So if you haven't seen those and you're listening to this, I would go watch all of those matches. Yeah, I was uh, I was close to Notebook on a match in Osaka that you didn't mention, uh, KZ and Shimizu versus uh, Mochi and Susumu. I really thought that that was a fun yeah, one. Yeah, that was, was good. That was good. I was just below uh, four on that. Uh, from Kyoto, yeah, the main event, Zebrats, uh, Tomikos versus KZ, Shimizu, Shamishin J, and JFK. I thought that that was by far the best stuff from the weekend show. I was four and three quarters on Mochi versus Shingo 10. I was four flat on uh, the triangle. I was four flat on Shun versus uh, Hio. So I have three four-star matches so far this year in Dragon Gate. There you go. And that's going to do it for us this week on Open the Voice Gate. Uh, this weekend, uh, let me, I had their schedule up a second ago, but they it's two are- house shows. It is, um, I, I, I got it, I got it right here. So they're in uh, Shizuoka uh, Hamatsu on the 13th. That notably has the old guys in M3K versus Minora, Benkei, and Hulk. Genki versus Jason. I'll just read the whole card here. Genki versus Jason. Nagano versus Gianni Valletta. Yamato, Don Fuji, and Naruki Doi. Doi working a house show versus Ultimo, Kikuta, and Daya. Uh, it is Big Hug versus Strong Machine J and Jackie Funky Kamei. And then main event, KZ, Big Boss, Shimizu, and UT versus Kai, Ishin, and Kato. So out of that, I would kind of hope we get the last three matches because I'd like to see Doi work on a house show. That's kind of fun. And Especially then, that trio. That yeah, trio. right? Yeah. That's kind of fun. And then the 14th, this is Kakucha's homecoming show. This is in Kanazawa. And this is one of the areas that was really impacted by the earthquake on New Year's Day. So somebody that that lives in Japan dropped me a note last week and said that they expected this show to be pretty emotional. So it is Strong Machine J, Jason Lee, Jackie Funky Kamei versus Minora Binke and Hulk. Shimizu versus Nagano, which God willing, that will make tape. Setsuko Boy versus Valletta, M3K versus Ultimo Yamato and Genki, and then Big Hug versus KZ and UT, and Kakuta, Daya, and Takashi Yoshida versus Kai, Ishin, and Kato. Mike, I will check, but is Yoshida from this area? Is there a reason he's headlining here? I thought Yoshida was from Osaka. But I thought that, so that too. Was- that was my guess. Uh, you said one match you wanted on tape. Uh, I was re- I, I was letting you uh, letting you run through, but I really wanted to tag in. For, uh, and one match we hope that does not make tape. Well, I have no desire to see Johnny Valletta versus Sachi. That- that's a that's a bit of a rough one. Yeah, you're right. Yoshido's from Osaka, so I don't I don't know why Tanaka is not he's not anywhere on these shows. So he's he just might have not- the weekend off. Yeah, he's got the weekend off, which is a bummer because I. I don't want to see Yoshida in that main event, but maybe maybe that'll be good. Maybe it'll surprise me. But Hyo and Monte versus KZ and UT sounds awesome, and Shimizu versus Nagano sounds awesome. So hopefully we get those as well. 
and then the uh, the road to gate of Bayside, the first time we've ever got that. We'll talk more about that because I we have the full card. I love the card, and I'm excited to break down some of the possibilities there, but that will be in the weeks to come. Absolutely, and we'll get into that as we get closer to gate Bayside. So it's the 27th, not the 23rd. I don't know why I thought it was 11 days. Instead, we have a good solid two weeks until then. So we'll get you that preview in a future episode. But that's going to do it this week for Open the Voice Gate. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Cases at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week. Take care. Hola, hola. My name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, Go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.